right. Um, before I start, just a quick announcement. Uh, you guys, most of you guys are young, and you heard the video that even the old people are doing well with technology. So I do encourage you to register for the evening service on your church center app uh, so that, uh, and also maybe be on time. Maybe it looks like you're not coming anymore and then someone took your seat or something like that. Anyway, so please um, be aware of that. So you guys are with me again. Just before the service, uh, someone asked me, are you preaching? And then I say, yes. And then he said, again? No. <laughs> I know you guys are missing Jabu, so he'll be here next week. Uh, but won't you turn your Bibles with me to Ruth chapter 4, and we're going to be reading from 1 to 12. Ruth chapter 4, 1 to 12. This is what the word of the Lord says. <clears throat> Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and, that be and all that belonged to Kilion and to Mahlon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house 
of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Paris, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Oh, Lord, again, I echo Tim's prayer. Will you speak to us? Will you use me? May your word speak to those that are hearing the Spirit of God. Drive this truth into our hearts, starting with mine. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Amen. As we have been going through Ruth, one of the unavoidable theological themes that we see in Ruth is that of redemption. The, the word redeem and redeemer um, come up a number of times. And there is just, it's abundantly clear that the author of Ruth intends to drive this point of redemption. And we've been talking about the, the, even the redemption story within the love story. And what is it pointed to regarding the, the greater story of redemption in the Old Testament to the New Testament? That's going to become more, even more evident next week as we kind of uh, conclude the, the book but this concept of redemption, um, I was curious to find out <clears throat> whether it is how did people outside of um, Christians and evangelicals, how, how do they see it? How do, do they talk about this concept of, of redemption? And, and I read some articles by non-believers. Non so, um, so I wanted to share with you a couple of, of this, how they see this concept of redemption. So, in an article on psychology today, the author, who is a Buddhist, he mentioned three kind of important steps for redemption. Okay, so this is what he says. The first one is that um, our intent is the most critical component of our actions. So if we can focus on those intentions rather than on their results over which we rarely have complete control, we may learn we have nothing to regret at all. So in terms of seeking redemption, the intent is what matters, this author is saying. And secondly, human beings are in inherently neither good nor evil, but display equal capacity for both redemption, therefore, uh, uh, sorry, but display equal capacity for both. Redemption, therefore, remains a possibility for us all. So they're saying human beings are neither bad nor good. Uh, they, they have the capacity for, for both. And then the third thing is the path of redemption is difficult, but not impossible to follow. We must fully recognize that we've done wrong, fully accept responsibility for having done it, determine never to do it again. And a, a Buddha would recognize an evildoer for what he truly is. Now listen to this. 
a profoundly misguided child for who, um, for who but a child would think he could build his happiness on the misfortune of others. So this is a Buddhist saying, you know, in order for you to, to kind of attain redemption, it's, it's not unattainable because you're, you're neither good nor bad. Um, you're someone that does something wrong is just because he's a misguided child, uh, and the intent is what it matters. Now, another article, uh, Medium uh, website, I found this, um, where, where the, the author says this, redemption is not some made-up idea. It actually exists. The hard pill to swallow, however, is that it can't be given to us. Now listen to this. We hold, we hold the key to our own redemption story. The key is the choice that we discover we have. So the choice to pursue redemption and not to give up despite having every reason for doing so. So listen to this. So how do we find redemption? We choose to seek out happiness. Look at that. So if you didn't know, that's what <laughs> they're saying. If you look, if you seek happiness, that's how you find redemptions. So look, hap look for happiness and never stop, regardless of whether we think we'll ever find it again or not. If we're looking for it, we have hope. We, when hope is present, there's not much need for redemption. Hope in and of itself is a form of redemption. So in other words, seek for happiness, Keep pursuing it, in pursuing it, you're going to have some hope that you'll find it, and that's part of the redemption. You're not even going to think about redemption anymore. How different, right? Um, he adds, by finding our own forms of personal redemption, we can seek out the joy in every part of our lives, whether it be our careers, our marriages, our daily activities. We can all look for happiness, which in turn will lead us to redemption. All right. And then an atheist wrote this on, on what, how do you find redemption. Speaking as an atheist and rationalist, the only redemption is forgiveness. It is not something you can achieve yourself. If you have wronged somebody, they are the only source of forgiveness. And apologies, atonements, restoration of loss are possible routes to them granting forgiveness. So redemption for this atheist is reduced to forgiveness. But interesting enough, he's saying, actually, uh, you, can't, you can't achieve it for yourself. And in that, I agree with, <laughs> with, with the atheist. And so this, this concept of, of redemption is, is out there. People see and understand that there is some need for redemption, but as you can hear from these different answers, um, well, on both of them, on two of them, you kind of determine it. It's, it's found within yourself uh, in, in seeking happiness or, or, or uh, just apologize for what you've done wrong and then uh, just determine that you're not going to do it again. And then in the case of the atheist, it's just reduced to forgiveness. 
But this is far different from what the Bible speaks about redemption and true redemption. How is it found? And, and in our text to, today, we're going to see some aspects of, of redemption. But the first thing I want to point out uh, and even link to these answers is that in our world, there is often an illusion of false redeemers. The illusion of false redeemers. So we see there that there is this one guy, this one person, we don't know his name, that will say initially, after Boaz says, well, there is a, a field and, and you need to redeem it. And the promise is, I will redeem it. The promise is there. I will redeem it. And yet, when it comes to the, to the really the, the crucial moment, the phrase afterward is, I cannot redeem it. There is people today everywhere, including what we just heard in, in questions, that will try to provide for you and will say, well, here, here is redemption. But the reality is that when the, the, the truth is at the crucial moment, they cannot redeem it. You seeking out your happiness will not redeem your soul, will not redeem you. You just seeking forgiveness to someone that will not bring redemption to you. There is, there is a constant um, seek and search for, for finding fulfillment and, and even a home, as we mentioned last week. But the reality is that in all these other ways, whether it be your in, in career or marriage or daily activities, they cannot redeem it. There is a bunch of false redeemers out there that promise, I will redeem it. And yet, at the end of the day, they cannot. They are not true redeemers. See, the, in, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 25, verse 5, it tells us about the concept of the uh, leveret marriage, which is kind of what's happening here. And it says, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So the first redeemer initially says, yes, I will redeem it. And then when he finds out this comes with an attachment, you have to marry, you have to get married to Ruth. Then he says, nope, I'm out then. And why, why is that? And he, he mentions the the um, the <clears throat> reason. I cannot redeem it in verse 6. I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. 
Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. There was, there was a cost here. In other words, he was very willing to, to acquire the land. But when, when uh, Boaz mentions to him, well, you also need to marry Ruth, he understood this, this is going to cost. Because, okay, what it meant was that the first son of them will get the land to, to continue the line of Mahlon, uh, Ruth's uh, dead husband. And so he's saying, well, I don't want to, you know, kind of mess up my inheritance. What if I maybe don't have other children? What, and now there's a financial cost in sustaining a wife and maybe a child with, with an inheritance that might not even end up in my own family. And isn't it interesting that the one who tried to preserve his legacy and name we know nothing about. We don't even know his name. The one who tried to prevail and, and, and preserve his legacy and, and um, inheritance is not even known. We don't even know his name. He understood there was a cost. So the cost of redemption. There was... A financial burden for whoever was going to redeem. And we know that even in our own redemption, there was a high cost. First Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Our redemption is given to us freely, but there was a great cost. There was a great cost that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for our sins. The price was high. The price was really, really high. The life of the Son of God it was a great cost, but, Christ, but God bought us, bought us, acquired us through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing is, as we draw parallels in, in terms of this redemption, is that when Christ redeems us, He redeems us completely. It's not partial. It's, it's a complete redemption. And, and here, in a sense, Boaz is saying, yes, I'm willing to pay for the field, and I'm willing to pay for, for Ruth. I will, um, he, in the Hebrew there, he says, I will redeem it. It's an emphatic, it's an emphatic statement. So as we talk about redemption, redemption is defined as the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. The action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. And this is what God has done for us. Christ has died. He paid our debt. 
Romans 5, 8 to 11. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation." There was a great cause, and, and I think that we as believers don't often think about this, the preciousness of, of the gospel, of what took place on that cross of Calvary more than 2,000 years ago. We don't understand how, how amazing this salvation is because it was really costly. And yet it's given to us completely free. We find, com we find complete redemption in Him. And Christ is, is saying, I will redeem you. There is no other redeemer. There are other false redeemers that make the same promise that, yes, I, just come here, I, I will redeem you. They offer this redemption, and yes, it's false. You know, last year I was trying to buy a car, and, and we, I, we were looking on the internet day and night for weeks, and then we found this nice SUV. Yo, it was nice. The, Kilometers were down, they weren't very high, the price was manageable, and it's like, man, this is good. In Durban, it was in Durban, and I like found a person, no, that's, that's fine, and he, uh, you know, mentioned, uh, you can come, there's other people in interest, and you must make a deposit. Everything looked nice. It looked legit. And then thankfully, one of our uh, brothers, Dave Temple, who was on holiday there, and I, I, you know, I was about to do the deposit, but in, anyways, then go and check out the car. And it turns out it was a scam. <laughs> I almost fell for it. The, Dave Temple arrives to the place, and there's nothing. There's no... Uh, even though on Google it appeared, <laughs> yeah, even the, the shop, but it was nothing. And the guy there said to, to him, yeah, no, people, many people have fallen for that. And there was a promise of a really nice car. And it was amazing. It was false. And what I'm saying is there are promises everywhere that you will receive redemption if you do this, if you go to this person, you, you will receive redemption if you do this bunch of steps. There's only one true redeemer, it's Jesus Christ. It's only one true redeemer. And when it comes to the crucial point, he's willing to lay down his life for his people. For the inheritance that he bought with his precious blood. He ransomed us. He bought us with his blood. As Tim mentioned earlier, we brought nothing. 
just all the mess. Just as Jonathan Edwards would say, the sin that made it necessary. It's only one true redeemer, and he laid his life for us. He bought us with his precious blood. The third thing that I want to point out here is that it ends with a hopeful benediction. Verse 11 and 12. Then all the people who were at the gate and, and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrata and be renowned in Bethlehem. Let me just stop right there. Look at what a turn has come to the life of Ruth and Naomi. From a strained two widows, strained in a, in a land far, without any hope of offspring, without any hope of uh, a legacy, coming Coming back, Naomi goes and says, you know, I'm empty. And yet here is a benediction of people that are, are playing a blessing over Ruth. That may God bless your offspring. May, may he make you like Rachel and Leah. Now, one of the things that I've noticed as, as we have gone through this book of, of Ruth is that there is an emphasis on two things throughout the book. And that is the identity of Ruth, the Moabite. Often, you will notice that often it will refer, remind us, his Ruth, who is Ruth, the Moabite. And also, and we will see a little bit more of this next week, the restoration of Naomi. Not just, not the focus, not even so much in, in, in Ruth's life, but what God has done restoring Naomi. But notice that in this blessing, when the blessing is pronounced, the previous identity of Ruth is no longer mentioned. Look at that. Then all the people who are at the gate and the elders say, We are witness. May the Lord make who? The woman who is coming into your house. No longer the Moabites. This is a new, she, she's kind of been accepted now. She's uh, is, as kind of a, a new identity. She's been brought into the family and, and, and they are kind of praising her in a, in a way and saying, well, may, may this offspring be like Rachel and Leah who's, uh, who together built up the house of Israel. This outcast has been brought in. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah? By now it should. God is actually a God of redemption with the desire and power to redeem outcasts into fellowship with himself. 
I'm an outcast, and so are you. Every single one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one of us that is kind of right for God to work his redemption on your life. There's not even one of us that is, you know, okay, yeah, I can work on that one. Every single one of us, outcasts, rebellious against God, dead in our trespasses and sins, and God, by his grace, has brought us in. He redeemed us and made us his people. He has made us his inheritance. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. No longer outcasts, we have been given a new identity in Christ. Children of the living God. Amen. There is hope in in him in, in Christ he's is our our redeemer not not hope in seeking for happiness it, it's not that we are neither bad nor good and we're capable of both no we are we are bad but god has redeemed us and changed us and he's doing so from day to day into his likeness. And the point of, of this part of the, the main point of, of the book of Ruth is to show the people of Israel that God is bringing this outcast Moabite woman to be part of the lineage of redemption story. This outcast who was not part of the Jewish people is brought and is being placed in, a, in a, a place of honor, in a sense. And, and that's kind of what God has done with us. We were once not his people, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been made his people. We were once far off and we have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, tonight I want to remind you of your own redemption. What has Christ done in your own life? Remembering your previous outcast identity, that it wasn't you who were a bit special, that it, it wasn't that you were a bit better. And he has brought you near. That it has cost, a, it cost a great deal. The preciousness of the blood of Jesus Christ being poured out for us. I want to remind you of that tonight. And this is, this is not a small doing. It is, it is a great doing. It's an, an expression of love and greatness that is it's hard to comprehend. I want to remind you of, of that tonight. 
that he has redeemed us. And, and that there is only one redeemer. Christ Jesus is the true redeemer. After you've been saved, after you've been redeemed, do not try to go about life as if there are other redeemers. There is only one redeemer who carries you through. That's Jesus Christ. And, and, and that, it, it, I'm, I'm saying, it's, it's not only pointing out for once when you believed, and then now you can just be self-sustainable, and, and I can do things now. Yes, I, I, I got saved, I, I trusted Jesus, and, and I can just go on about life. No, no, there is only one true Redeemer who redeems all of your life, who you cannot do things without Him. It's Jesus Christ. He's the one that redeems you and sustains your day by day. Put your trust in Him. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. And the Lord help us with this. Lord, help us to keep looking to our Redeemer. There is only one. It is in Christ alone that our hope is found. It's only one who could have redeemed us, bought us with his precious blood. Only one that died as a substitutionary, uh, substitutionary atonement for our sins. There's only one. Or forgive us if, if maybe we have been in search and for our own false redeemers. There's only one. Thank you because you restore us. Thank you because you have restored us. You have brought us into your family, given us a new identity. And we are alive in you, Lord. And I pray... For those that tonight don't know you, for those that have not trust in the true Redeemer, that have been searching and looking for false Redeemers, Lord, I pray that they will see the greatness of Christ. That as they hear the gospel, your Holy Spirit will work in their hearts, that they will surrender completely to Jesus Christ, Lord. So help us, I ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.